Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we're still on hiatus between books in the Korraverse, so it's time for that Republic City Dispatch tradition, a fireside chat with Korra sound benders Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn about creating Book 2 Spirits. So without further ado, two of your hosts who make the least posts but have the most roasts, Matt and Devendra. Hello and welcome to Republic City Dispatch. I'm Matt Patches, and today we have uh, Devendra Hardwar, no Dave with a seven, or Joanna Robinson. They have been whisked away to their other duties. But uh, Devendra and I are back with a new episode, despite there not actually being any new episodes of The Legend of Korra. Uh, as as people know, we adore this show on every level, from the characters to the themes to the stories to the craft. Um, there's a lot that goes into making Korra that we really admire. And today we hope to take a very specific look at that. Uh, we've been very fortunate to to have a friendship now, I would call it, uh, with the, the the gentleman behind the sounds of Korra, Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn. Um, these guys have been working on the show since Avatar The Last Airbender. They've also contributed music to Kung Fu Panda, Legend of Awesomeness. They've done music for the DC Comics short films. They've done feature films. They've done commercials. They've done pretty much everything you can do that requires sounds. They compose on their own. These guys are brilliant. Um, We've talked to them before, book one, actually, on Dave and I's old podcast, Operation Kino, which is now fighting in the war room. That's a shameless plug. Uh, we talked to them before book two on Devendra's slash filmcast, and now we brought them back for our, our to discuss po- book two. Now that we've heard it and seen it, um, because a lot of specifics go into a lot of details go into the texture of the sounds that we hear, and there's plenty to discuss. So I'm very happy to bring back Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn to Republic City Dispatch. Guys, thank you so much for uh, thanks for having coming us. On yes, and uh, yeah, just- excited to be here. So everyone can identify you both. Uh, why don't you let us know who you are? Okay. Maybe I'll talk in a really high voice. Talk, really. <laughs> yes. This is, this is Jeremy speaking right now. And this is Ben. What are you guys working on right now? Are you in the, are you in the thick of book, book three? three? Yeah. It sounds like, it looks like Brian keeps posting all sorts of pictures and stuff. So yeah, we're, in, we're about uh, six episodes in. Ooh, oh, nice. Gosh. Yeah, it's moving. It's moving now. Like book two has had its problems, you know, production-wise. Um, schedule, you know, with animation studio issues and things like right. that. Oh, now they've really got it together, and it's uh, seems to be uh, it seems to have momentum now. Does that help you guys? I mean, is that a, is that a is that better for yeah. you, or does that mean there's less time, or or it's a bigger? There's definitely less time, but you know, it's it's hard to to sort of get into it and get out of it and get back into it and get out of it, and this way. You know, you sort of remember where you left off. You remember the themes, or you know, in my case, you remember the themes, or you know what I mean. It's just easier to keep track of the of the vocabulary of the world. The music is still haunting you at night. You're dreaming for <laughs> yeah. <horror> music. <laughs> Either that, or I turn off my studio and don't think about it until the morning. <laughs> oh, that's that's probably a healthier way well, to live. A little bit of both. <laughs> uh, so I was talking to Davidra before the show, and I think our big question focusing on the music of book two and the sounds of book two in general mm-hmm. um, are what what might be the first conversations you have with Brian and Michael and all sorts of people in the production uh, when you start talking about a season of Korra. And now I also am wondering, because we finally got to see the show in fall of 2013, but when was that first conversation actually held? You know, when did that happen? The first conversation for, for book, book two. two. 
Oh, God, and, that's a good question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, I could look it up real quick. Uh, it would just be whenever that spotting session was. Oh, yeah. So that um, would be 201. Uh, well, oh, yeah, the episode 201, yeah. Oh, no. Did we, wait, did we do 201 first? No, we did 207, 207 first. Yeah. So we did the, the wand stuff first. Oh, wow. Well, that makes sense yeah. because it feels very individual. It's kind of its own beast. Yeah, and this that was... Is, when was that? This is going to be depressing. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was August 8th, 2012. Wow. At 3.30 uh, p.m., just, just so you guys know. <laughs> if we ever time travel back to that moment, we now know where. Yeah, if we exactly. time travel, please don't go there. <laughs> this is something much more interesting than that. Uh, yeah, but we we knew uh, we knew that it was going to be all about spirits. That was uh, you know because that was the title. You know we knew that you know way before then. Um, so we in my you know from my end I knew that it was going to be a lot of abstract sounds, which are fun. You know because those are you know there there are a lot of you know there, there have been a lot of of uh, abstract sounds in avatar and Korra, but this is it has been a lot more since since the spirit season started because there are all these you know, uh, life forms and creatures that don't have human qualities so they you know you can't rely on foley or stuff like that you know you have to come up with some sounds that represent them that aren't normal you know What are those spotting session conversations like? I mean, are Brian and Michael talking to you about uh, actual story beats and, and moods or inspirations? Or how, how do you find a sound for those spirits through discussion? Um, well, well, so the way we all talk about it is, is by watching. You know, we, we just we go to spotting sessions where we just literally watch the episode, you know, in little chunks and sort of pause it and talk about it and pause it and talk about it. Um, and we, so, spot, and we spot the um, music, sound design, and Foley all at the same time, which is kind of, I think, uh, individual to this production. You know, I don't. I think hmm. usually people spot music and sound design separately. That's interesting. Right. That may be why, like, I, I've always felt in Korra and Avatar, it's always a little more in step, I guess. Mm. Whereas on other shows, it feels like you could tell they're totally separate things. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that has to do with uh, Jeremy and my working relationship and like history together too because i think that we i, I you know i can sort of anticipate a bit what the other person is going to do or could kind of guess or you know and we can we can very easily talk to each other which we do sometimes um i mean we talk all the time but sometimes we talk about uh you know exactly what we're doing for a particular moment right and the original um, yeah the original remember the original idea for avatar was that the two would be completely integrated and there wouldn't really be a difference between sound design and music. Like it would be, mm -hmm. it was a lofty idea. It didn't quite work, but it was a cool idea, which was sometimes like, you know, especially when sound design was abstract, it would sort of blur the lines and you couldn't tell. And same thing with music. Sometimes, you know, it would sort of go over the line into sound design territory. And that was sort of the idea that like we would do both at the same time and, and work in a very non-traditional way on it. And it, it wasn't really practical, but it was a cool idea. And I think, because we had that that idea originally, it sort of 
it made us a little more aware of of melding those two worlds, in, you know, in a natural way. Yeah, and, and um, both Jeremy and I, Jeremy has done sound design and I do music. Uh, so we kind of both knew what the other worlds entail. And I remember when we first formed our company, we like had this almost manifesto sorts where it was going to be very much sound design and music together uh, as one one entity called it like the musical sound design at the time but um but yeah so so i I think that um we sort of had to have a history of thinking about you know blending those things together when you had these first spotting session conversations i mean were there discussions of thematics and how book two was going to be different and individual than in comparison to to book one and how that would kind of reflect what you guys would bring to the table um, well, really, we don't usually get too far into the season. We usually just spot the episode on hand, you know, at hand. Um, so like, because the wand stuff was first and it was a two-parter, really, we only talked about that to begin with. Um, so we really, we don't usually know what's coming. We, we almost never know what's coming. Um, so these themes and things sort of happen naturally, you know, it's sort of, uh, it, the writing sort of encourages it, you know what I mean? Hmm. So if there's an idea that's developing over the course of the season, um, it's sort of naturally I go back to the musical themes and I develop them along with the idea. You know what I mean? But it's not so it's not really pre-planned so much. It's more just like, you know, sometimes there'll be general statements that Brian or Mike will make about the episode, Uh, just a general mood or there might be a new element that they want, like, uh, you know, they'll they'll bring up some new concept that's introduced and they want to find some musical way to support it. Or, or sound design way to support it. Was there something um, like that in book two that comes to mind? Just like a specific note that's like, this needs to be enhanced by sound design or, or music in some capacity. We need a reflection of that. Right. Well, there was, there was definitely like um, the gamelan, the presence of the gamelan in book two, which start, which was right from the very first note of the, of the one, which was, for us, it felt like the first episode because it was the first one we worked on. And so the very beginning, like starting right with the title card of uh, the one episode, the first one, um, there was Gamelon. became like an important part of the, the spirits theme and it's sort of present whenever there's spirits and um but that wasn't you know really explicitly talked about it just, it just happened you know sort of a, a choice that i made and it worked you know it seemed to it seemed to work throughout the uh, throughout this the season um but uh you know it's more like you know there were there were discussions in the beginning of Korra, but once you know, like book one, but once that sort of got had the momentum and we went through the whole season, we just you know, naturally kind of add new ideas here and there. And if they're cool, they come back, and if they're not so cool, they don't come back, you know. <laughs>
Well, you guys were talking earlier about um, the idea of spirits and I guess how that maybe changed the sound of this season. Or Could you tell mm-hmm. us a little more about that? Because um, I noticed that, you know, season one had some of that great uh, sort of like a hybrid mix of uh, old timey, you know, ragtime music with Asian elements. And it was so, yeah, I've never heard anything like it. But this mm-hmm. season, we didn't have a lot of those jazzy elements. This was right. more sweeping. That's definitely true. This was like a, a grander, a grander story. You know, it was mm-hmm. a, the first season was a lot more intimate and, you know, about these individual characters. And this was sort of this huge um, supernatural idea. And because of that, um, I felt like this season actually had a little bit more in common stylistically to Avatar. And there were even like more, you know, references to Avatar themes and stuff um, because they were dealing with, the, you know, the original Avatar and the concept of the Avatar a lot more um, in, a, in sort of a, a mythological, historical sense. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it really comes through in the, uh, the Genora track that, uh, <laughs> that you guys had sent us along, uh, there, it, it builds up in such a really interesting way. It feels very cinematic. Yeah. I was, you know, in the first season, I really wanted to refer, like refrain from doing really big grand things, but the, but this one's really wanted it, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, so you got to give it what it wants. <laughs> <laughs> it demands. Yeah. Um, ben, I'm, I'm curious about going back to something that you mentioned that maybe the big task of book two was creating a sound for the spirits and the spirit mm-hmm. world and how it wasn't – it's not like our own. So it has to have a different texture to it. How did you yeah. find that sound and, and what, what are those actual sounds that we hear when the spirits are moving yeah. around or, or being active? Yeah. Um. Those were tricky, and, and they sort of change a bit depending on if the spirit is menacing or, you know, sort of friendly. Or, yeah, um, a flying bunny versus a, an yeah, evil, yeah, exactly. evil spirit. Yeah, the, the flying bunnies, um, those, you know, are, are mostly lighter sounds like uh, sort of imitation wings flapping and stuff like that or, or light wind and... Um, some of the wings flapping was was done by tapping on a um, table and then uh, just playing with that audio over and sort of uh, (laughs) making it sound sound much better. People at home could make their own flying bunny sounds. Sure, absolutely. Uh, But then, you know, some of the more menacing um, spirits, those sounds uh, were much more sort of inharmonic. So a lot of those were done by taking the sounds of bells or um, other sort of inharmonic, uh, like what else do I have? I have this, I have this children's toy. That's this little magic wand and you tap it and it makes this like really tinkly kind of metallic sound and has got a really long decay. Uh, But so I recorded that uh, quite a while ago, but I went back to it and sort of pitched it down and then did this process called convolution where you, sort of multiply two sounds together and what you end is you end up with is some sort of combination of both of them and so i would sort of multiply those sounds with um sounds that would have some sort of gesture to them like a whoosh like a you know a a sound that has a quiet start a loud middle and a quiet end um so then you can you end up getting these sort of kind of creepy this creepy hybrid of you know inharmonic sounds mixed with this cool um, sort of amplitude or like, or gesture. Um, So some of it was that some of it was um, using a a synthesizer that does FM synthesis. So you can kind of like control the, the level of inharmonic 
uh, sounds as it progresses. You can kind of draw in the automation. Um, so yeah, it's kind of complicated, but those are those sounds. I mean, some of them are very innocent and they start with a magic wand and tapping and others <laughs> are just, just sort of pure synthesis. That's amazing. Now, Jeremy, do, do your recordings end up going through a similar post process or is there an alternative method um, to that? Are they trying to be as raw as possible? They're pretty raw. Like I've always wanted the performances to be re really sort of exposed and very human. And, uh, you know, we don't have access to a huge orchestra or anything, so you really hear the performances. Like, you know, everything is close mic, uh, microphone very closely. Yeah, it's just a very, like, intimate uh, recording. You know, you hear the performances very clearly, and I wanted that. I wanted you to really hear the, the humanity on the instruments, you know. If you use live instruments, you're, you know, you know, you might as well really exploit the fact that they're live. Um, and for me, like, Cora is really, like, the music of Cora you know, it's very human. And I, I, so, so I kind of shy away from doing too much um, processing. To the, you know, the performances themselves are interesting enough for me. There are occasions where they happen, you know, like uh, if, if it makes sense narratively. Um, there's definitely some some synths here and there, uh, and then <clears> like you've done some super super collider stuff with the haven't you oh, with pitch percussion? That's true. That's true. Um, I <clears throat> there is there is some elements of computer music in there, but I try to keep them from sounding too synthetic. Um, uh, like I don't want to get too technical, but you know, um, I've been all along since book one. I've been using this this software, super collider. Um, to just it doesn't sound that technical. It just sounds really cool. So don't <laughs> okay. worry. But it, it just it can create it can do it basically super collider. It's like um it's code. You know it's it's all text based. So really like it can it can do anything pretty much. It's it's an audio programming language. It's a programming language geared towards um you know manipulating audio. It's the nerdiest thing of all time. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, you you mentioned the gamelan earlier. What is is a gamelan a, a chime of some sort? Is that what? Oh, it's a, sorry. It's an Indonesian. Uh, it, it actually means orchestra. Um, it's Indonesian. It's a it's a it's a set of um pitch percussion instruments. Okay. Um, like me metallophones and things. Uh, metal metal pitch percussion instruments. There's gongs. There's um. Uh, there's, there's, it's, it's a really old tradition, and so there's a, it's just a series of, uh, of pitch percussion instruments, uh, like an ensemble, and uh, so you can, yeah, you can hear it in, um, all over a book too. Um, yeah, there's, there's a track called Spirit World that has a very like percussive it. nature. It has a lot of bells and that sort of thing. Is that is, are we hearing the gamelan?
So that one we're first hearing uh, glockenspiel, but it's pitched. Uh, it is pitched down an octave, um, so it sounds a little slightly unrecog, you know, slightly foreign, unrecognizable. Just lots of strings, trilling strings. There's a, a melody played by the uh, dita, which is a Chinese flute. Oh, the gujin. There's a gujin tuned uh, non-traditionally, almost tuned to a Japanese tuning. Well, what does uh, it mean to tune Japanese or tune? American. Oh, well, the, I didn't realize there's, there's there were traditional scales. You know, okay. there's traditional scales for the different for uh, you know, there's a tri- there's Chinese traditional scales, Japanese. There's a couple different scales. Um, so the gujin, is, um, it's like a harp. So you, it's not chromatic, meaning you know, mm. in Western, uh, you know, in our, in our tuning system, we have a chromatic scale. Um, that's all the notes in the scale for us, um, traditionally. We're so close-minded. We're so close-minded, Westerners. But you know, th- this. Um, uh, the gujin is uh, it's a 21 string instrument and it's traditionally tuned um, five notes per octave. So uh, and traditionally it's tuned to a major pentatonic scale. So you can but you can do it really you can tune it any way you want. Um, and you know people are starting to do all kinds of interesting things in, in uh, modern music with it. Um, but uh, so so I just sort of tuned it up. Uh, actually I think I, a friend of mine had asked me to do something for him and uh, it was in a strange tuning and I left it in it. And just like became a, a cool sort of element for the uh, spirit friends. Accidents make the best music, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so it's Gujin, Disa, Arhu, uh, pitch percussion, and strings in that one. While while we are talking hyper specifics here, Ben, I have a question <laughs> for you because there was a moment in the Wan episodes um that really startled me uh i just i was not expecting the sound that came out of juan as mm-hmm. um he was he was merging with rava and mm-hmm. we hear this kind of like static mm-hmm. sound and a lot of the uh, you know i know you use a lot of computers to create the sound design of cora um, but it still sounds very organic it seems to be coming mm-hmm. from a real place in this world all of a sudden i was hearing this static and I, I was I was totally off guard because that was it didn't seem organic at all, and but entirely appropriate to that moment, perhaps. Are you referring to when he um, he's fighting Vatu? Starts sort of vibrating. Yes, he's oh. vibrating. I have to leave you. If I stay any longer, you will die. It doesn't matter. If you leave me now, Vatu will destroy everything. We have to finish this together. Uh, that was fun because you're right. That is a very um, that that is a that that is a, that is a world of sounds that we don't use much in Korra. Um, but I love I love that kind of sound. <laughs> so yeah, it just, basically I just found something that matched. I mean, that, that's essentially what was happening to his body as it was uh, vibrating really quickly to what seemed like noise was being added to it. How do you, how do you create um, <laughs> static that plays? You know, I always I always wonder that. You know, this is it's a cacophonous noise, but I'm sure it's yeah. expertly crafted. Perhaps, <laughs> um, maybe I'm giving you a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, you're like no, it is, it is expertly. It, it is it is incredibly right. expertly. Um, yeah, so so I, I went looking for noisy sounds that i had recorded um i think i think those started from from synthesizers from analog synthesizers and uh you know synthesizers have or they can have uh, a noise oscillator or or a noise uh, generator um so and and they're all different kinds of noises um and, uh, and it just depends on how sort of bright they are um but then you can kind of modulate that and 
you know, apply different things to it to, to give it a different kind of shape. And a lot of, and a lot of that stuff is about really uh, exactly cutting it to picture. So it's sort of going frame by frame and only having the noise, the, the, the very frames that he is moving. And, and I find that once you do that, um, that's what kind of sells the sound as really attaching. Does that makes sense. It's almost like animating the sound in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's base. that's basically how I do the sound design. This per, you know, it, that's how, that's how all sound design basically is, is you just kind of go frame by frame and, and find the, find the start and end points and, um, and follow the action sort of by frame, you know? So some of that is, <clears throat> is drawing in automation lines, be it volume or filter or, uh, you know, noise, whatever. Um, yeah, literally frame by frame. I, I'm curious, drifting out of the spirit world for a second and kind of reapproaching a lot of the human stuff, Jeremy, I, I was really interested. There was a lot of family dynamic in this mm-hmm. season, and you got a guy like Ton Rock and I heard a cue that was associated with him that's a much deeper sound than we've heard before. You know, I think book one had a lot of Eru in right. it. I've heard you talk extensively about the Eru. I could probably teach a lecture now based on the Eru. <laughs> um, but I'm curious about finding new sounds for different types of characters and maybe they're reflective of the sounds you established with Korra in book one. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some of that. Um, <clears throat> you know, because I try to keep the instruments uh, mainly live, I I have a limited pool to, to, to choose from, you know, pool of instruments um, because, you know, we have limited budget. So we don't have, you know, we have access to, you know, a handful of live instruments. But uh, it's, so it's more like, you know, it's a combination of the instrument and the melody and how it's used and any sort of performance techniques or anything. But with Tonrock, that was a cello. That was just a cello. Um, but it was played in a... You know, <laughs> just was, a cello? Just no, a beautiful sorry. cello. Played, played beautifully. <laughs> very sort of it's a bit dark it's 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 definitely kind of strong you know but it's also a solo performance um which we haven't heard a whole lot of like in book two there, i mean in book one there were there weren't a lot of solo performances um and so i started to play around with you know with solos i mean you know just one instrument and so at the same time you know book one actually gets smaller at times than book two but it also gets grander i guess musically it sort of is a little wider uh, dynamically than book than book one um, although stylistically, it's a little less diverse, you know, because of the, because there's less Dixieland and that kind of thing. Talking talking to kind of the scope opening up in book two, Ben, I'm curious if some of these battles became um, not necessarily more difficult, but just different than uh, sound designing fighting for book one. It's not like pro bending because they're fighting giant monsters and it's, it's, <laughs> it's getting kaiju you know, battles. Man. It's kaiju battles. It's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, totally is. Uh, but it's like kaiju battles where they're they're 
their spirits too. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was as, in general, the whole episode was much more abstract. So, so the challenge was making something that doesn't, you know, like it's, it's straddling this line between physicality and, and non-physicality. So you, you know, you need to, you, these, uh, spirits need to have uh, some sounds that attach to them as being otherworldly, but then they also need to have some weight to them. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that was, that was actually really hard. Cause I, my, you know, my pool of abstract sounds had to grow quite a lot. And that happens just while you're working on it, you know? So it's just like trying to solve these, these problems that you have right in front of you, you know? Um, I think it's one function of television that it's hard to sort of, plan really far ahead because you're there's no time to do that because you're always just working on sort of what's right in front of you so again i had these sort of weird convoluted in harmonic sounds um uh mixed with some like real bass and thuds and you know because body impact still had to sound huge you know they had they had to sound they, they needed to sound just as massive as anything that any human was doing i was about to say in the the stuff in the finale it amazes me how much weight, you know, these two characters have as they're battling these humongous characters. How, how do you create that weight then? Like, what is the sound that gives something that really has no weight value? Yeah, it's, it's basically low end. It's bass, you know, um, and, and it's a lot of layering. Um, so, so basically, you know, you kind of have a moment and that moment needs to sell if it's, if it's somebody getting hit. So you, it, it sort of, it, it needs to fill the whole spectrum. You need to have something high up so that you can hear the sort of detail of the, you know, say the contact. Uh, and then you need to have something low, mid to kind of give it some thump. And then you need to have something below that to give, you know, people who have subwoofer some extra juice. And, and some of that is, um, is done through, there are, there are low end synthesizers. So you can you sort of process a sound the right shape that you want and it will just give you some bass back nice so i, I listened so, to the show on the on my surround sound system and this is one of the few shows that actually gives me it gives me a reason to have a surround sound system basically mm. most TV oh, shows that's awesome yeah that's really cool that's really cool it's funny i thought you guys were going to ask about the uh the spirit horn <laughs> which the horn blast you know that's sort of become the, the power blast the the laser the, yeah. Well, oh, exactly. we were. That's we were going to. That's that Devendra's number one point. Devendra can't it stop it talking about lasers. Giant right, black then I, then laser <laughs> terrified me, especially with my <laughs> subwoofer. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty harsh. Well, we're, yeah. we're here to talk about the laser bed, so right, cool. give it to us. Um, well, it's funny because I was all prepared to say that that, that is probably going to go down as the most famous sound I've ever done for for these shows. <laughs> it's greatest um, hit. Yeah, it's going on the greatest hits album. It's it's my ringtone. Um, exactly. Somebody's that would be amazing. Yeah, so so that that that's actually a good example of something that needed to sound physical yet also otherworldly. Um and what gives that its sort of physical nature is is this, um, the sound of you know large ships out on the sea when they blow their horn. They go, yeah. 
And then it's so it's that mixed pitch sort of pitch down and a couple of versions of that mixed with some sort of synthesized lasery kind of attacks. Um, and then so you know, some build-up sounds. So you, um I took some explosions and reversed them. So there's like a sucking up into it. Um and and then yeah, and then it's all about sort of giving it um some reverbs and giving it some space so that it feels even more physical. Nice. I could I, I felt it. Like that's something the first time it happened, I just felt it because I think I was listening to it a little too loud on a Saturday morning. <laughs> and uh yeah, that, that'll wake you up. Ben, you, you, you joke that this might be the, the big sound effect that will, you know, be on your mm-hmm. gravestone when you die. I've mm-hmm. created the laser yeah. from Korra mm-hmm. Book Two. But <laughs> I imagine that there's a lot of little things that probably plague you. And as someone who's had creative endeavors, it's like it's the little things that really eat away at you and, and may, might feel like epiphanies when you're in the moment, especially the hustling that involved with putting a TV show together. Is there something mm-hmm. little that you guys recall just a small moment or a, a little piece of music that really took you a long time to kind of nail the way you wanted it? Hmm. Should I do sound and then you want to do music? Sure. Trailer? Yeah. I need to think about it for a little bit. Yeah, yeah I do too, but I'll just start anyway. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think I, is, if I get your question, is it, is it, it's that, um, are there any sort of small challenges or, challenges that we've overcome is or just like question? a small a smaller sound effect like a small moment right. from the season that just needed yeah. the right sound almost like you're saying it's frame by frame kind of excruciating yeah totally um there, there are a couple uh, examples of that um for me sound design is all about details and it's the little details that really bring something to life and because it sort of happens before my eyes and ears while i'm working on it you, know, you can have something and you're working with it and it seems like it's going, it's going, it's going okay. You know, it's getting better. It's getting better. And, but, but there's some like little voice in the back of your head saying it's not quite right. It's not quite right. And then you do one little thing and all of a sudden everything is correct, you know, and that could be playing perspective as the camera shifts or giving a sound um, a little bit more reverb so that decay is more natural or, you know, giving it a little more bass so it has a little more weight. It can be, it can be all these things. Um, and you just kind of you just kind of have to trust your intuition and work with it until you you don't have that voice in the back of your head saying that it's not quite right. Um, but so examples of that, um, I actually really like the sounds of when they enter and exit the portals. Um, I don't know. I mean, the other the other thing about sound design is if it's done if it's done really well, you almost don't notice it. Sure. Um, but. And not, not, I'm not saying it's done really. I've done it really well. However, um, you know, lots of times, you know, these sounds, you kind of, you, you people can forget that there is even a sound associated with something. Um, but anyway, when but, they, when but they it's go, more you know, like feeling it, like your example right. of the portal closing. I'm feeling it close, not just because I'm seeing it, because I'm feeling. Or in Davinder's case, when he has surround sound, he's actually feeling sound around sure. here but uh, but i actually mean when they're just um walking in and out of it not when it's closing but when they're being portaled to another location you know it needed like a beam me up scotty moment but like not not too obvious not too cheesy not to science work fiction in that world yeah exactly that's that's the challenge with this show is that it's like real world science fiction, you know, it's science fiction, but it's not supposed to be. Um, 
so so everything needs to have this physical physical nature and it needs to really straddle this line between not being too sci-fi um so that was one another, another moment that i really liked was when the portal does close and we have this montage of the the um the blue sort of spirit i'm sorry the purple spirit explosion oh yes yeah. so when the world is the enveloped world. oh my gosh yeah terrifying I love, I love that whole montage idea to do just sound design in those moments um so it's, it's sort of like an opportunity to really to hear the the sound you know sort of naked so to speak um and, and those sounds were derived from the horn blasts as well so a lot of those were like pitched and stretched down uh and given various um reverbs and, and stuff like that um to make all the different scenes work and then, you know, personally, I just really like the sound of the earth, of it covering the whole earth, and then it sort of slams to a close, and then there's this deep bass. That, that was fun. That's You, you like that. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love bass. Mm. I love when you can have, like, uh, you know, a nice bass ring out. It's always satisfying to me. It's very physical. You know, you yeah, really I was about to say, that. you feel yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeremy, do you, ha- do you have a, a moment, a, a maybe a smaller musical moment that mm. stands out? <laughs> Well, um, I don't know if it's not something I struggle with, but, uh, you know, one of the tracks I, well, Janora's Light, that whole sort of rising string thing, that actually originated uh, in the uh, Avatar, the last Airbender finale. And that was this very short, it was like a 10 second cue that, uh, that I always liked. And it just happened for 10 seconds in the finale and never again. And it was actually, it was, um, right as Zuko and Azula were attacking each other and then it cuts away from them and then later it cuts back to that other cue um, so so I always wondered why I never developed it like for the second part where they actually fight <laughs> but I didn't I did something completely different so I uh, it was just something I always wanted to reuse you know and like develop into into a full piece and so I took that and that became the basis for the whole Janora's Light and that thing is actually used a lot in um, the, the penultimate episode for book two and then the finale for book two.
And I don't know if I'll come back to it or not, but uh, that that's it's funny because like I, you know you, we always like to think we're like growing and getting better all the time, and it's kind of depressing because in some ways that was sort of like my favorite musical moment, and it's something that originated <laughs> you know six what six years ago or so. <laughs> but, you can't uh, escape it. Yeah, it, it lives know. inside of you. I guess so. And it wanted to come out again, so it did. And uh, <laughs> so that that I'm you know kind of I'm I'm happy that I was able to go back to that idea and. Uh, and I've had a couple of people recognize it, which I thought was amazing. Because, uh, yeah, because it was literally like a 10-second cue in the ho- that happened once throughout the whole thing of Avatar. So, um, yeah, it was cool to come back to it and let it, you know, let it grow a bit. Fans know their stuff. Yeah, better <laughs> um, than I did, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to, I just remembered this, I, I really want to talk about Nuck Tuck. And oh, yeah. The music, I mean, it reminded me of a, of a Fleischer cartoon. Yeah, that was that was a challenge. That was very difficult music. Actually, I had to completely change my process for that one um, because it's you know I don't usually write that kind of super busy orchestral kind of style, you know. Um, and it, it was done sort of in the in, you know in the you know '30s kind of style of uh, these these talkies. Yeah, it was like Heinz Romheld. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so what I wound up doing was I I actually set up my tempo and I actually sang the whole cue, uh, and recorded myself into, into my, you know, into my software to picture. I watched picture and would sing and get, you know, and get a section and then work in the next section and work on it until, you know, I got my ideas down vocally. And, uh, I just kept doing that all the way through the cue, then went back and then took pen, you know, pencil and paper and, uh, actually did a sketch, which I, you know, so it actually, it took a lot of time. Um, it was it, it sort of dominated for those episodes. It was probably those those short cues. You know, were probably two thirds of the time I spent on the entire episode was spent on those short cues. Um. So yeah. So I went back and I would I would sketch it out and then bring it into uh into the computer and uh you know orchestrate it fully, flesh it out fully. But it was a it, you know it took three steps the process and it was it was a pretty uh, intense process. And of course you know it just flies by and no one really notices it because all this stuff was going on. <laughs> And uh, I was really proud of it at the time. <laughs> and now I'm just like, all right, <laughs> it does its job, you know. It's, hey, it's... I lost my mind over it. That's what's important. <laughs> oh, <cool>. Thanks. Um, <laughs> well, what, what was your reference point for that then? I mean, because it doesn't seem, it's it's not like your other music. And I don't know if it's music that you were that familiar with before or. Uh, it really wasn't. You know, I had to go back and look at the, look at those old, you know, Flash Gordon, you know, the original Flash Gordon uh, serials. Um, and, uh, Buck Rogers, you know, in the 21st century. Um, and so I really just went back to that music and sort of analyzed it and listened to it and, you know, sort of thought about what they were doing and tried to, uh, to get into it for a bit. So I spent a, a fair amount of time just sort of studying that stuff. And then, uh, and then I, you know, tried to do my own kind of take on it. and call for backup immediately. <laughs> um, 
actually, it, this, this just got me thinking that Janora's Light has vocals in the background, I think. Yeah. It's, who is that? Where, where that, do you that, that is actually the computer. Um, I wanted to use, I've been dying to use a person for some solo. Like, that's an element that I haven't explored in the Avatar world at all, is like real live vocals. And uh, I know I have a couple people in mind I'd love to work with. But I just haven't found the right time. I was actually going to use them for that, but you know, I, when I do it, I I don't know. I'm torn. Like the whole wordless vocal thing can be a bit trite, you know. So it's it's you got to be careful with it. Yeah, um, it's very Lord of the Rings now. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> or Gladiator. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or a million other things, you know. And it's like it's very. I don't know. It quickly gets you into a place that I'm not sure I want to go. It's very so faint tried, in Janora's light. Yeah, so I tried to mix it like a choir, you know, just like a choir that blends with with the rest of the instruments. I mean, ideally, it, you know, we'd have a choir, a real choir, and that would, you know, that's that would be that. But of course, you know, there's budget, there's budgetary limitations. Don't Brian and Mike sing? Uh, <laughs> a little bit. I actually never heard Mike sing. I've heard Brian sing a bit. Really? Nice. That's yeah. we need to find those recordings. Uh, I'd love to see like actual like getting a choir or seeing um I know the budget for everything being stepped up a little too. That's yeah. what Battlestar Galactica did over its run and like by the end it was doing some crazy stuff. Exactly. Sound wise. Yeah, yeah Bear's a real, you know, inspiration for that kind of thing. Um he's actually a good friend too. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's really cool. And he, you know, he's he's given me some really good advice and he's just a very smart person. And he kind of creates these uh these opportunities where they where they didn't where no one else would see them, you know. So he really he made that happen. Oh man, um, that, that's crazy! Like to everybody listening to this, um, I know a lot of people haven't seen the Battlestar Galactica reboot, but that soundtrack that is something I just listened to on its own quite a oh, bit. Oh yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. Good. It's fun. Yeah, that was that was actually <laughs> what drew me to the show originally, because um, I was a fan of the show too, and you know I got into it because of the soundtrack originally. Like I almost could care less what was going on. on screen. <laughs> Eventually, I got into that too, but really like. That was why I got into it, you know. Yeah, well, I think for the longest time that was one of the most interesting sounding shows on television, and now it's it's all Cora because uh, you know Bears, yeah, Bears doing stuff for a couple other shows, but it's not the same as when he was doing Battlestar, and uh, Michael Giacchino doesn't do TV anymore, so we lost all the good TV composers. Well, you, you know, Bears is doing what what I think is necessary for the mm-hmm. type of shows he's doing. I think Battlestar was so it's like an Avatar Cora kind of thing, you know. It doesn't oh, yeah. have where you get this this world where you really are free to just really do whatever the hell you <laughs> to want. To remix Jimi Hendrix, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make exactly. it work. I mean, wow. You know, how many producers would let someone do, a composer do that, you know? <laughs> so, well, uh, Jeremy, uh, I think when you were on the Slash Filmcast marathon thing with us, I'd asked you about, um, I think, any anime music that you've heard. But I wanted to ask you too, Ben, like, watching mm-hmm. Korra and watching Avatar, I'm a big anime fan. And what was always interesting about anime to me is that uh, they actually paid attention to the music. Like, anime soundtracks yeah. are amazing. Uh, Yoko Kano, you know, the woman who did uh, Escaflone and Cowboy Bebop, she's one of my favorite composers. Have you mm-hmm. guys listened to any of that stuff? What about uh, Kids on the Slope? What's it called? Uh Kids on the slope, yeah. That oh, who, yeah, who, that, that was, was incredible. Well, incredible. They used a uh, they used a, a, a young jazz ensemble for that, like young guys playing jazz. That was the whole soundtrack. Actually, no, that's not true. There was some other. No, was, there was score too. There was I score. could be wrong. It but was wasn't it, wasn't it that was Yokohama. Yeah, that was the same guy. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. That's and right. th- this woman, by the way, is amazing because she is like a musical chameleon. She could just hit every genre and own it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, is that something you guys have listened to quite a bit? 
Uh, well, we uh, were both way into, uh, you know, Kids on the Slope. Oh, uh, nice. We love that series. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't listen to a lot of film or TV music in my own time, believe it or not. I have more and more over the years to learn, and, and I've gotten more into it and appreciated it more. But, um, I, you know, that's not really what I listen to in my own time. And I, I think that kind of gives me my own voice. So I kind of want to keep it that way. You know, uh-huh. I kind of want to stay ignorant a little bit. But there are, that being said, there are things that definitely strike me, like um, the Wolf Children, that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You, you know, have you seen that? Wolf, Chil- Wolf Children? I think so. Is that a, that may be it's another a, show or another it's type? A, it's a feature. It's, um, it, yeah, it's a feature that was in the theaters maybe like six months ago or something. Um, it's, uh, who did it? I can't remember who did it. I think, um, Oh, Wolf it, Children. Yeah. 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 I can't, uh, I should find out. I should remember who did it. I can't remember, but the the soundtrack was really interesting. It, you know, it was very Western. It was like, uh, but it, it, was, it was, it was sort of modern. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Copeland at times, um, but it was pretty ambitious. Uh, and that, that's, that sort of stuck out to me. Gotcha. But, gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's I think- good to know you guys are at least listening or heard some of the anime stuff. Cause I feel like, I'm the only one here, uh, you know, listening to anime soundtracks on the subway in New York City. Sometimes, oh, you know, another you're definitely another not cool the only one. one who does it. <laughs> no way. You know, another cool one uh, that uh, stuck out to me was uh, Mushi Mushishi. You know that series? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought that was really inter- the music to that was very interesting and uh, very spar you know sparse and minimal and well done. I, I, I like when people do something different, you know, mm-hmm. and that that to me, the palette and the the approach felt different. So dare I what ask was... you guys about book three? <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, no, I'm, cu- I'm curious because you're in the thick of it right now and just curious about, you know, we c- kicked this conversation off talking about those first conversations about book two. And since we seem to know a little more than we normally would uh, about book three, what, what were those first conversations like about this season and, and kind of diving into it and maybe the differences? Mm. Well, you know, I think first conversations are always different from the whole season, the whole season, you know, I mean, um, like, I, I think there are probably some takeaways from where we are now about the whole season generalizations that we couldn't have made in those first conversations, you know, um, but that's probably what you're asking, right? I'd probably be curious about that too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seems to me, what do you, I don't know what you think, Jerry, but it seems that this season is a bit more, in a way, like the first one, it's a bit more emotional. It's a bit more about human emotions, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree with that, Jeremy? Yeah, and uh, you know, it's hard to talk about it because we don't want to give anything away. But I, I feel like it also has a little bit more in common with uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Um, you know, as far, well, I can't say why. Eggs <laughs> coming back, scoop. But there's oh, a yeah. specific reason. No, it's not. No, 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 no. Not that I know. Of. <laughs> we only know what we're on, so maybe so. I have no idea. But um, but yeah, yeah, it seems it's in common okay. with, you know, is there is like it, thematically it speaking more... or um, how, there's no real way to answer this without giving anything. Away. No, no, I would say no, not thematically speaking. I can say that. It but. it, ha- it has some connections to Avatar that are better left unsaid, so that we can be happy and surprised oh, when we sure. see them. Well, there's always that, but uh, even just oh god, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way to talk about it really. There's no choir. We know that yeah. we can yeah. eliminate not that. Yet. There's not more yet. Eru. 
Yeah. Zuko's theme Lots was so that. hard to do, man. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's stuff. There's good stuff. This is good, dangerous. Um, I I wanted to wrap up by talking to you guys about the things that you're working on that are not uh, related to Korra or Avatar, um, because I certainly, you know, being fans of your work on the show, have really discovered everything you guys do in the outside world and have just been blown away by that as well. Um, I know you're both working on this music series, The Echo Society is it Echo? Society? That's right. Yep. Um, can yep. you talk a little about that and maybe each of your individual projects? Because I know you have plenty on your plate when you're not in the thick of Korra. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, the Echo Society uh, is really great, really exciting. Um, it, it started just because a group of 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 us, sort of musicians and composers, became friends here in LA and started going to concerts and just hanging out and being friends. And then we just uh, decided that um, we should try to make our own scene and uh, f- for this blend of sort of, I don't know if you'd call it underground, but um, classical music mixed with electronics or mixed with sort of whatever um, else that, that composer wants to do. So it's, it's eight at this point, you know, the core group is eight composers um, and the idea being that we, for each concert, we're gonna we're gonna hire uh, a different ensemble, um, and write. Each person's gonna write a piece for that ensemble. And the um, ensemble, the instrumentation we sort of decide upon, like it could be a non-traditional um, ensemble as far as like you know the the grouping of instruments might be something that you don't usually see in concert music too much or something. Um, which is you know the, the idea is that we're writing music for music's sake and not for picture or you know because we're all we're all working uh most of most of us our music is subservient to something right so we're, we're write music where you know for us basically trying to get back to when we first started writing music and what that felt like um and that's really the goal it's you know that's really it so it's sort of up to each composer to do whatever he or she wants yeah and it's also i think if, it's also a bit about doing things that you wouldn't normally have the opportunity to do uh, like I, I don't get a lot of opportunity to write for, to have my music performed live by live players. You know, that's a, that's a new thing for me. So, so that's great. You know, you learn a lot and it's about sort of growing and continuing to do that. And, and the, pe- and, and the other people involved, um, yeah. with, with it are people, um, listeners out there might know Joseph sure. Trapanese did the music for the raid. Trapanese. Uh, uh, he did the raid and the raid two, and you got uh, I'll probably mispronounce Rob's name. Rob Simonson. 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 Yeah. He did Spectacular Now, a couple Thanks. other movies. Um, but you guys are all you know in the thick of the composing world and breaking out and doing this. Yeah, we got yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what it's about. Is um, yeah, just like you know, fostering a bit of a community for all these people and, and for the audience too, you know, the first, the first concert was invite only. It was 300 people invite only, um, which is great too. You know, it's sort of a, it's a safer environment and you know, everybody there is a friend of a friend and, um, and that's great. And eventually we're going to open it up, I think to public, to the public. Um, but, but it's also, it was, you know, sort of great to have it be, private in the beginning i think there are some samples out there for people we'll post them on our website uh, cool so people can check them out and, and then what are each of you doing kind of individually right now uh this is ben i have a um 
I have an album coming out. Actually, the, the date was just set, June 17th. 2014 um and it's a collection of ambient songs that i've recorded to cassette tape uh so they're very sort of hissy and nostalgic um and, and i've i've ended up turning it into this much larger project where uh there'll be you know there'll be visuals for each song there'll be a physical object that i can't quite talk about yet but um there'll be sort of like a new distribution for hmm. this album uh it's sort of a a new idea on how to distribute music. Will I be able to get um, it on cassette tape? Um, I do not think that you will be able to get it on cassette how tape. How am I supposed to give it to my middle school girlfriend if I don't get it on <laughs> cassette tape? Oh, well. Awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's turned into this very like big project um, that I'm really excited about. It's very fulfilling. Uh, so that'll be coming out in June, and then um, I'm hopefully going to start putting together a live show for that release that will we're hoping to do sort of the major city like you know a smaller tour but in the larger major cities kind of thing That's awesome. and, and that'll be it'll be a very like uh multimedia concert like uh not not really theatrical but there, there's a there's a larger narrative that we can tell and and that's under your your moniker deru is that deru correct? yeah okay cool yeah cool and jeremy how about you um, I'm I'm actually finally releasing this uh, this dance score that I did um, about three years ago now for the Scottish Dance Theater. Um, so I finally got around to mastering it, and I'm trying to decide how to release it. Whether I should, you know, try to find a label to put it out, see if anyone wants to put it out, or if I should just do it myself. But I got it mastered, and I'm sitting on it, and I'm getting ready to do something with it. Um, and I'm kind of excited to get that out there because it's uh, it's very different than I think the music that people know me by. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. Um, I just, I'm not really sure what world's going to live in. It's kind of strange stylistically. Uh, you know, it doesn't, I don't feel like it sort of neatly fits into a genre. So I'm a little, you know, I'm a little lost as to what to do with it other than just to put it out there and see what happens, you know? Um, and then I have just a couple other things. Like it looks like I'm going to be doing a couple other little, um, documentaries and things, um, in the coming couple months. Uh, and then, yeah, that's kind of it for now. And then, of course, Corey, you know, keep keeping us busy. So, book four, it's right around the corner. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, seriously. And then, and then what? <laughs> then the big question: then the, the movie end of the world. Let's yeah. do the movie, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. God, rumor mill, M- rumor mill. M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> oh, oh. oh. No, I want an animated movie in theaters. That would, yeah, that'd yeah. be amazing. Totally. Let's yeah. dream. Let's dream big. How? How do you Wait, know how much out. longer you have on on book three? Uh, just under a year. Oh, oh, sorry, oh. book three. Oh, yeah. um, that I don't know. Yeah, Weeks I think mid mid year. I think mid year we're done with it. Cool. Yeah. Well, Four. we await that, and um, where people can find you on the internet so they can follow all your exploits. You're both on on the twitters. We're on the twitters. How can people find you on the twitters? Um, I'm just Jeremy Zuckerman. <laughs> I am right. underscore Deru, D-E-R-U. Uh, and then, you know, there's the trackteam.com um, or there's Facebook for the track team or or individually, either either one. SoundCloud. All, all the socials. Oh, SoundCloud. Yeah. SoundCloud. We got the SoundCloud, SoundCloud lockdown. Yep. What That's else? a good community. 
Yeah. It is. I love SoundCloud. That's a good way to favorites. discover cool music, I must say. It really yeah, is. Yeah, totally. Um, I love it. Well, Jerry, Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn, thank you so much for coming on Republic City Dispatch and talking to us once again. Uh, another That's insightful bad. conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you.